Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I wanna make or how I wanna be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark file. Let's open up the spark Welcome to The Spark File, your one-stop old-timey shoppy for creative inspiration. I'm Laura Camion. I'm Susan Blackwell. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. You may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? Where do I get a Spark File? Mm. What do I file in my Spark File? These are good questions. Zach, we've got answers. Yes, we do. A Spark File is the one place where you consistently collect all your inspirations and fascinations. And if you're like us, making shit all the time, sometimes the wellspring of inspiration can get a little dry. So we're here to refill it. So we're on the lookout for fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark our creativity and pique our curiosity, things that inspire us to get up off our asses and make a things like this podcast. Or a specialty cocktail. <laughs> or a hand-carved ladder. Mm-hmm. So on today's mini-sode, we're going to talk to someone who really sparks us. And that special someone. Oh, oh God. Exactly. <laughs> Which roughly trans- translates into Zachary Quinto. Zachary. Hey. Zachary. Welcome to Hi. The Spark File. Hi. Hi. Welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, welcome. <laughs> CQ, we are old friends. <laughs> you and Cam's are meeting for the first time. That's so right. So we represent the full spectrum of our listenership. Mm-hmm. I know you as a real live breathing human being. Cam's, you know, Zach is an artist. I do. So this is going to be I quite a little shenanigan up in here. Yes, it is. Yeah. 
So we were thinking we might start at the beginning. Okay, bring it. Okay. Where Can, are we going? So we're going to go back. We're going to take it back. Yeah. Can you give us just a quick overview, your backstory in a nutshell? Mm-hmm. In a nutshell. For someone who doesn't know, where are you from? Where you up, been? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh. Nice. Um, a great city, born and raised. Nice. It's a great city. Um, and I had a very, I would say, traditional suburban mm. um, upbringing. I was raised Catholic. I had um, a lot of family, um, mm-hmm. pretty pretty intact, pretty stable. Yeah. Um, until I was about six years old when my father got sick and died. Uh, not great. Oh. Not good. That's something. Not good. Not good. Yeah. This is a, I'm jumping Whoa. forward. Really yeah. went, went straight to the heart of yeah, it. But, we, yeah, we But I know that it. we talk about the sources of creativity often yeah. being moments of real trauma or yeah. real unexpected um, um, redirection of a journey of a life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my first five years of life, my first six years of life were like as as sort of safe and comfortable and white bread as you can get, you know, mm-hmm. really, in a lot of ways. We had great community, great family, great friends, um, you know, a lot of sort of the comforts of life. Yeah. Um, and my parents were very happy together, and I have an older brother and all of that, mm. you know. But but this kind of event, this traumatic, unexpected, irrevocable event, really shaped all of us in different ways mm-hmm. and I think has a lot of... Um, a lot to do with us sitting here today. Mm-hmm. What did your What did your parents do? My parents come from very different backgrounds. My mom was raised very upper upper middle class um, or lower upper class um, <laughs> okay. in Pittsburgh culture, like in Pittsburgh okay. society, right? Mm-hmm. So her father was a successful businessman and politician. Mm. Oh, I didn't and, know yeah, that. He was in Congress. I uh, served oh, a term in Congress. Wow. Really? And, yep. And and my great grandfather also politician. So there was like a political landscape wow. in my mom's side. I of love family. learning this about you, and yeah. it makes sense to me mm. about you. Mm. Okay, I want to know more about that. Um, there's actually a roadway in Pittsburgh named after my great grandfather called the PJ McArdle Roadway um, wow. because of his contributions to the city. And uh, yeah, so she grew up in that way. My father grew up about an hour and a change outside of Pittsburgh in a small town called Connellsville, uh, where his father, an Italian immigrant, uh, had settled when he moved. I don't know shit to about you. I think know you knew, Zach. No, you lie. So my father is a first-generation American, and uh, and was the first of his siblings to be born here. Uh, oh. So no, that's not true. Sorry, sorry. My father was a first-generation immigrant and the second of his siblings to be born in the United States. Uh, his older sister was born in Italy, and. Uh, so what happened was my grandfather. I mean, do you want all this? Yeah, yeah. You can edit it. Yeah, my grandfather. We're not editing. My, <laughs> my grandfather was born. Uh, my, grandfather, my grandfather was married in Italy and had a son. Uh, and his wife and son died in the flu pandemic of nineteen nineteen. Oh, 19. oh. And so he then. You know all this. Yeah, yeah. This is a tre- these. There's a lot of sparks in this. Yeah, okay. Treasure trove. I gotta yeah, ask you good. another question. And then he uh, subsequently went through that grieving period. Met my grandmother, married her, had my aunt in Italy, and then left them for six years 
and came to the United States where he had cousins who had immigrated already. Um, he lived with them, aligned with them, and built a life for himself here, uh, which took six years before he sent for my grandmother and my aunt to come join him in Connellsville and then finished the family and had three other children, wow. uh, one of whom was my father. How do you know all this? Wow. Um, my, my dad's side of the family, uh, my aunt who died in 2010, um, was that became the sort of de facto matriarch of my father's side of the family. And, um, and I, and I was grateful enough to be able to, like, to learn from her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keeper of the flame. Yeah. Keeper of the flame. That is, that is juicy. Mm. There's a, might be a good novel. In I that. have to ask you, do you, have you ever read the book flu? No, it's about the, oh, the flu, flu of nineteen eighteen. It, it 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 is such a good read. It's mm. one of those like you know you kind of forget that it's not fiction. You're like what the put it in my spark file. Put it in your spark what? file because I have a fantasy of someone like telling that story. When I read it, I was like, what? Why do I know about the Black Plague? But I do not know that a fourth of the world's population was killed in nineteen eighteen. Here's a real time spark. ZQ. Get that screenplay made, produce, and star in that movie. Mm. There you go. Boom. Um, I'm going to, I want to jump ahead to when you, or jump back, when you think of your life, do you think of the death of your father as sort of a demarcation line and there's sort of everything that came before and everything that came after that? Yeah, it's the single most defining event of my life. Can you talk about the after? So you told us about what it was like before. So then what started mm. to change and what developed mm-hmm. after? Well, it, 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 yeah, it entirely disrupted the dynamic of my family. So you asked what my, my father was a very um, uh, creative, very um, magnetic, uh. magnanimous, loving mm. person. Everybody <laughs> loved my dad. Like, really? like yeah, yeah. Like, you just posted a photo of him I for did. Memorial Day. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you look so much like him. Yeah. I th- I thought about your mom and I thought how must your mom feel when she looks at your face? Maybe that's changed over mm. the years. But I but it's so interesting to hear he 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 due respect to your deceased father, a total potty. <laughs> but, but, I, um, but it's interesting to hear that he was so charismatic yeah, and so very, magnetic. Very, uh, sort of a renaissance man. He was very mm. talented. He was a great chef. He was a great musician. He was really? a photographer. He was an, a visual artist. He drew. He, um, By trade, he, he became a barber and then a hairdresser later. Sort of, uh, you know, his career was, um, he ran the hair salon at Saks Fifth Avenue in Pittsburgh. <laughs> What? Yeah, very Warren, no very you. Warren Beatty and shampoo kind of vibes. Wow, and really? super natty, like very like yes. YSL kind of vibes. He was, he was you a could, cool, so you come by that honestly, your sartorial yeah. style. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was really into like you know how he walked through the world and he did it. He was very tall. He was like six four and a half and big guy. Really, um, yeah. And my mother, so so they met. It was this very unlikely. Um, union. My mom was a client of my uncle. So when my dad opened his first salon in Pittsburgh, he owned it with his brother. What was it also, called? I don't know. That I don't know. Uh, um, my mom was a client of my uncle, Jerry. And one day hmm. uh, she showed up for her appointment with Jerry and he was out sick and didn't cancel the appointment. And so my dad cut my mom's oh, hair. That is a meat cute for a rom-com. So cute. Really? Yeah. How, how did your how did to follow up on Laura's question? I'm curious how, yeah, how your dad's you know? passing like well, impacted. So, yeah, so so my mom, um, who was 
also engaged previously. Like she was sort of with oh, somebody no. else. A um, scandal. And then, and then kind of was drawn into this, you know, and it was like not, you know, it, was, it wasn't quite a like wrong side of the track situation, but I do feel like my mom wasn't being groomed to meet and marry someone like my dad. Like mm-hmm. But it was this unlikely kind mm-hmm. of fiery. But he fiery, sounds like this. Your yeah. dad sounds like the shit. Mm-hmm. So they, they, yeah. they, the they, heart um, wants what the heart wants. <laughs> but I will say about my mom, um, you know, she was um, a beautiful, beautiful woman. Still is in her own way. But... Um, but she never really cultivated a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things about my mom, uh, historically and family tree-wise, is that um, she was the firstborn daughter to her parents. Uh, she had an older brother, but she was the firstborn daughter, and so was obviously doted upon and you know celebrated mm-hmm. and. Um, she received all of the attention and affection of her father. But big expectations, probably. A lot of expectations. But you, I don't know if you know this about my mom. I think you do. On her fifth birthday, my grandmother gave birth to twin girls. So there's a line of demarcation in a life of like, you know, her stepping into her identity as like a young girl who is the apple of her parents' eye immediately and in Boom. like the breath of these two babies being born all of her thunder was stolen it's amazing oh what can God. change a life and that Death, that was birth, the single birth. most defining moment of my mother's life wow. if you ask me and um, at similar ages it, it, i was gonna say yeah, that like ages. right around that yeah. time yeah so so yeah my mother i think like just i she just didn't um she didn't cultivate like i think it really affected her in a way that like she felt her identity had been stripped from her, you know, and, oh. and she was then the relationship between her and my aunts was like always sort of triangulated and always sort of, um, you know, filtered mm. through this two against one energy. Oh. And, uh, and that carried with her through her life. But then the thing that I think she met my dad, she was the older woman, you know, older sister. She was Gorgeous, like like truly, like mm-hmm. I need to know. see some early yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some, but but truly, like like absolutely gorgeous, and uh, and so when she met my father, like it sort of you know I think she used her um, her her ingenue kind of persona. Mm-hmm to set herself apart from her sisters, even though they mm-hmm. were beautiful and like had their own, but my mom was a little ahead of the game. So yeah. she sort of like entered into the society of, um, you know, dating and sort of being this like, you know, bomb vivant in her own mm-hmm. right. And so when she met my dad, she really plugged into that relationship as her source of now I am, now I am a married woman. Now I am this man's right. wife. Now I right. am. And so that was her source of identity. Uh, and so that when oh my, my father God. died, mm. it was a second time when her Mm-mm. sense of identity got completely just Mm-mm. just ripped away from her, and you, she was. Did totally, she ever recover from no, that? No, never. Never recover. Never, from never, that. never, never, never. Did never. you? How do you feel like that? How do you feel like it impacted you as a human and as a creative person? Well, um, in terms of my relationship with my mother. Um, 
when her identity as a wife was ripped from her, oh. then it was replaced with her identity as a mother. mother. And I was seven mm-hmm. when my father died. My brother was 14, so my brother was already in high school. He was much closer to my dad than to my mom. He really resisted her presence in our in his life after my father died and rebelled mm-hmm. against her, whereas I was still sort of in close enough proximity to her that the gravitational pull of her need for identity just sort of wrapped itself around me and pulled me into her Mm -hmm. orbit. So it, it, it began a very long and complicated journey um, for me to kind of individuate and like, you know um, I would say that that had a large impact on my creative process. One of the things uh, I was saying to baby cams before we were, came to talk to you is you, I feel like you're very articulate, very loving person, real smart, real good sense of humor. And one of the traits about you that I really admire is your ability to know, just intuitively know what you want, what you don't, and really set clear boundaries about it. Hmm. Easy peasy, boop boop. <laughs> but you're saying all this stuff, and I'm like, I think you had to learn that. Oh, big time. To individuate yeah. yourself. Big time, yeah. All of that is a huge. And I remember, um, it's a bit of a digression, I guess, but I remember being in my early 20s and in Los Angeles, and I was friends with this woman who was older than me by probably about 12 years. Um, so she was in her 30s by this time. And I remember thinking that very thing about her mm. and being like, how is she mm. so she clear that? <laughs> about mm-hmm. what she wants? And like, and, and I remember at that time thinking like, mm, I got to figure this out, you know, because I, I was like so far. You, but you were how old when you knew her? You said I was probably in my early 20s, like 22. So it really took that long. Like you oh, hadn't figured it out. I, I would say, I mean, I got into therapy when I was 25, 26. Mm-hmm. That's when it began. That's when mm-hmm. the process began. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, Interesting. I don't know how long it took per se to get right. me to the place that I'm We're at now. Still. But that's yeah all figuring it out but i just i i had been picturing when you said what you said about the age and your mom and i'm like oh i was thinking this game like rooted much younger but it's actually very inspiring and exciting to think about like oh no you recognized that saw that in your 20s and was like i'm gonna embark on this process of yeah, like deep, finding deep, my deep, deep dive yeah, yeah. i mean in terms of how my father's death affected me it's like as a seven-year-old i mean obviously the trauma of losing that primary caregiver and like you know the i mean it, it just totally wrecked any sense of natural development mm-hmm. that i was you mm-hmm. know exploring at that time and and it thrust me into this world of like survival skills, mm-hmm. defense mechanisms, like all these things that I that I switched into to survive this horrifying, unfathomable mm. um, trauma. Mm. And, uh, and so for me, it was like uh, I learned very quickly. I became incredibly precocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned how to observe mm. the adults around me for guidance as to how to react to situations. Like mm-hmm. I can remember, I remember looking to the adults in a room to see how they were grieving because I didn't know what grief right. was. Yeah. And in, right. in 1984, there was no, uh, there was not the same degree of awareness that's for right. child psychology and the well being of children mentally yeah, that's right. to be able to like care for me through that. So I was, I was cared for by being protected. Right. My, my family thought that like I had to be protected from the reality of my father's illness and death. 
and that that was how to take care of me, which is the absolute opposite of how to take care of a child going through right. something like that. Right. So I was like exiled, like, you know, in emotionally and physically from the experience. Mm. Um, you know, my parents had a friend who was a doctor who lived in Florida and they flew, that man flew to Pittsburgh to tell my brother and, and me that our father was going to die. <clears throat> instead of? Instead of doing it themselves. Wow. Did you get to spend time with your dad as he was getting closer to death? Mm, less and less time. Or did they keep you separated because they didn't want you to yeah. see it? It was more of an event to go visit him in the hospital yeah. as he was mm. getting sicker and sicker, yeah. Bad news. Mm. So I'm getting that like you were observing the adults and even seeing how they grieved and probably, I mean... I'm imagining, tell me if I'm wrong, but like what their faces, like looking at what their faces were doing, mm. what were the kinds of things they were saying to each other? Is that when, or when did you start? I'm curious mm -hmm. when you started thinking of yourself as a creative person. And I wonder if there's a, like a mirroring, did it? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the, it, it developed in me a heightened sense of observation from a very mm -hmm. early age that Word. probably wouldn't yeah. have been developed if yeah. I hadn't gone through that. And then also I think the ways in which I processed the, the trauma ongoing um, were through a heightened sense of imagination mm -hmm. um, and my yeah. relationship with storytelling by myself. I remember yeah. spending a lot of time alone and spinning stories by myself. So I think I can look back on it now and say that, I was a creative person from a young age because creativity was a, a huge way that I processed through a lot of this yeah. trauma mm -hmm. for the first few years after my dad's death, like seven till uh, 11, four years. And then at 11, that creative exploration or that imaginary kind of life was given structure by a teacher that I had. Mm -hmm. Who, tell mm -hmm. us about that teacher. Janice Smith. Oh. My third grade music teacher oh, at third grade. Uh, Fred L. Aiken Elementary Thank School you, in Pittsburgh, PA. Is she yeah. still with us? I don't know. I, I I have tried to find her unsuccessfully in the last few years. Um, to if see. you know Janice, if you're listening, Janice. Right. I mean, Janice Smith was a real... Uh, I have everything... Yeah, I have I have her to thank for every experience that I've had. What specifically oh, wow. was she? How was she supporting you or mentoring you? She was a real eccentric, um, <laughs> and she was one of those teachers who she really marched to the beat of her own drum as a teacher. And she, kids can be cruel, and mm -hmm. kids were mean to her as a teacher. They didn't they oh, didn't interesting. treat her with the respect that obviously I think she deserved. Um, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I sort of had this weird, it's interesting because I think throughout my life I have, um, I have these touchstones of relationships with um, women, older women, um, sometimes complicated women. You know, I think it's, it's filtered through my own mother. Mm -hmm. um, but she was kind of one of the first like people, you know, who I was like, I, I don't know why I felt really like I loved her class. I loved music. And she saw something in me. And one day after school, she sent me home with a cutout from a local newspaper that talked about these auditions for mm. a performing group really? at the Civic Light yeah. Opera in Pittsburgh. And it was called the Mini Stars. Oh. And yeah. <laughs> Mini so Stars. I, and, and it was in a sealed envelope that she gave me. And she said, take oh. this home and give it to your mother. Mm. And so I took it home and gave it to my mom. And it Jesus. was an article yeah. with a note that said, you know, I think that Zachary could excel 
uh-huh. um, based on his performance in class and his, oh, you know, response Janice. to what we're doing. I oh, think this could be a good cry. thing for him. God. Yeah. It's kind what of major. A fucking gift. And my mom was like, whatever. And and I and I have never performed to this point in my life. I had never taken a class. I had but never done anything. But you've been doing a lot of imagination and a mm-hmm. lot of yes. stuff probably in yes, private. Sure, yeah. sure. But I mean, mm-hmm. I had never had, it had never been given any kind of structure. And so my mom was like, all right, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> and so she signed me up for these auditions, took me down to the Benetton Center in Pittsburgh, PA, <sighs> in 1988. And uh, and I auditioned. For Do you the remember Sivadana what you did for your auditions? I sang "America the Beautiful." <laughs> oh, and literally the response that I got was, um, "Okay, that was really um, that was a good job. Why we're going to ask you to come back next week and sing a song from Broadway?" And I, my answer was, "What is Broadway?" <gasps> oh, I had no idea. Sweet pea. So I went back to Janice Smith baby. and I said, "Miss Smith." What is Broadway? And she uh, said, well, uh, Broadway is Oliver. Broadway is Consider Yourself. And I'm going to teach you Consider Yourself oh from Oliver. My and I worked on it for a week with Janice Smith every day after school. And I went back and I sang it. And I got accepted into the Civic Light Opera Mini Stars. Oh, my Pittsburgh, God. Yeah, what, kind of work, what kind of work were you doing with the oh. Mini Stars? The Mini Stars were a group of, um, I would say, probably like 20 six to 18 year old kids um, of various ages and, you know, um, backgrounds <laughs> and shapes and sizes. And we learned medleys. We sang all different did. kinds of medleys yeah, and performed them all around the Pittsburgh um, area. Were you um, dancing as well as dancing, singing? Dancing, singing. Mm-hmm. We were wearing, mm-hmm. we were giving you very like white pants, white <laughs> shirts and like very colorful vests that were reversible. So sometimes yes. you'd wear the oh. blue side sometimes you'd wear the purple side sometimes oh. you'd wear a sequin vest <laughs> and we would dance around in white jazz shoes and climb up on ladders and do a lot of jazz hands and sing cole porter and sing a disney medley and How'd sing like a broadway it? medley i mean it was literally heaven on earth it oh. was like i found we my like, I can't wait people. to go to oh practice. yeah no no i found yeah. my sort of it oh. it gave it gave uh, direction to everything that would happen after that. And through that, I mean, Pittsburgh, side note, is actually an incredible city in general, oh, but yeah. also an incredible city culturally, culturally. Mm-hmm. and for young people, yeah. you know, it's like, it's got a lot of, there's the Civic Light Opera mini stars. There was the, um, the, there's another place that I studied voice. Uh, why can't, oh, the center for performing arts. There's Ken Gargaro who had like his own thing. Like there's a lot of like places for kids to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was such a beneficiary of that, you know? And so I, in addition to being a mini star, then of course I had to enroll in the Civic Light Opera Academy of Musical uh, Theater. Clearly. So then it was like I found my way into classes. Game on, motherfuckers. And <laughs> I encountered my second most influential teacher in my journey, who is a woman named Jill Wadsworth, who became my acting teacher from the time I was 12 till the time I was 18. Oh, shit. She did a she, good job with you. She was my, You're she a good was my actor. Sort of real mentor job, um, as, I, as I came through my high school years and realized nice. that this was something I wanted to do more. I wanted to ask you about that while you're right there because yeah. we, we also were curious, like at what point did you go from like, yeah, I think I'm creative and maybe I'm talented. When did you start to think, oh, maybe I will make a life of this? Mm-hmm. 
Well, as I got into um, high school more seriously, and I and so now I was a mini star. I think I was a mini star until <laughs> I was sixteen. So until I was I like a junior, and I, I it's like Menudo. <laughs> then you age out. <laughs> I sort of aged out of mini stars a little prematurely. I didn't stay until I was eighteen. I was like at sixteen, I feel ready to move on. But in addition to that, I was still studying after school. That must have been bittersweet, though, or it maybe was. not. Maybe you were like, "See a no, mini stars. I'm a full grown star now." Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was also studying still at the academy with Jill all through high school and I was doing like high school musicals at my mm-hmm. school so I was really now all of my yeah. extracurricular time was spent in performing arts and I um, and I uh, was also studying so so I, I said to my mom at a certain point like probably around my junior year of high school this is what I want to do mm. um, and she was like you're going to law school like you're, <gasps> you know you're, you're kidding me you know, oh. she was like you're definitely like you, here's I, the thing I want to say your mom's, your mom, I mean, with your pedigree and your intellect Mm. and you're so very, very articulate. I can see why mm. your mom was like, no, but you're going to law school. Because I was also doing like debate and, yes. you know, I was also and I doing other things. And it. she was really, you know, encouraging the more academic side of my right. interests mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. um, skill set. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but yet she saw the passion. And my mom's not. The passion you know, for sequin vests. Yeah, she saw the passion <laughs> for jazz shoes. You can wear those vests. in a courtroom. Um, sure. <laughs> um, but so she was very, you know, she had this joke that like, you can be an actor after you're a senator. Like she wanted me oh. to be a politician or a lawyer. And so, yeah. um, so yeah. this really interesting, um, seminal moment of my development was these are crazy stories. But when I was 16 years old, I, um, I, my, my mom wouldn't let me get my driver's license. She, uh, as a punishment for every time that I talked back to my mother, oh. she added another mm. month onto <gasps> the amount of time that I was okay. allowed to get my driver's license. She so wasn't I like, turned get 16 out of in house. June and I was not allowed to get my driver's license until December because we had enough <gasps> significant oh. altercations in which I taught. And this was like when I really There's got to like the level set of, a boundary. Yeah, yeah. When I really got to a level of, uh, of, of talk back, that was like another month. So that was like six oh months. So I didn't get my driver's license until the beginning of December of, two, uh, of, two, of 19, whatever, when I was 16. Yeah. 1994. I'm so I'm bad you guys, at math. As I get <laughs> older. Don't look, no. don't look at me. I'm not going to be able we'll to help take you with whatever the math. number you give. We okay, won't great. do the math. And um, <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to get my driver's license until December of the year I turned 16. It was my junior year of high school. And so it was like all of this um, sturm and drang around me getting my driver's license. So the first night that I was allowed to take the car out on my own, I got into a horrible car accident (gasps) with three of my friends in the car. And the car was totaled. Oh, my God. And I was driving at like in a 15 mile an hour speed limit zone. I was driving like 65 miles an hour coming off an exit ramp and hit a patch of black ice (gasps) and slid off the road and landed in like I was literally like 10 feet in front of a telephone pole and 10 feet away from like a giant tree that oh like had God. I had either of those like we all went died. Um, it was like a, a, did, is it, was everybody safe? Everyone was safe. Everyone oh. was fine. No one was injured. Um, but my mother had to come pick us up and oh like see the car and the smoke and the whole thing and it was like obviously like this was like a crazy like um, moment and it was in the the subsequent like four hour conversation after we got home of like what were you thinking what were mm. you doing and like I don't know what triggered this but it, it was a moment where I was like 
this is what I want to do with my life. Perhaps a yeah. near-death experience. Perhaps That's a right. near-death experience. That'll do it. But it was in that conversation that I sort of first declared my intention to pursue. That was where you declared your intention? <sighs> yeah. Wow. To like go to school That's for powerful. acting, to go to college for So acting. many of these things that you're describing are either scenes out of a novel or a film. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how some of the stuff is so cinematic. That's that's like if I saw it in a movie, I'd be like, that's that's a bridge too far. <laughs> but it's still, but it happened to you. And yet true. Sure Near death experience wow. and then no I'm gonna mama, be an actor. I'm gonna yeah. go to Broadway. Well or, I'm gonna go to drama school. Amazing. Yeah. And was your mom in more of a mindset to hear it in that There moment? was something about the vulnerability of what just happened, I think, that, you know, mm-hmm. made her more so then my mom was like, Well, you know, we, we need to get a professional opinion about whether or not you can hack it. So then my mom hired this vocal teacher, this opera teacher who was on the faculty of Cincinnati Conservatory of Music Uh named Uh uh, Lorenzo Malfatti. And Lorenzo Malfatti was this like older Italian gentleman who like gave voice lessons and was like an opera. So my mom took me to this man and made me sing for him and made him tell her whether or not he felt like I was good enough to like cut it. Oh, my God. Which, thank God, Lorenzo Malfatti said I was. That kid's got juice. And (laughs) then my mom sort of slowly started to kind of come around to it. At the same time, I got accepted to the Pennsylvania Governor's School for the Arts. That was Mm, another milestone Mm -hmm. moment because Mm -hmm. it was like audition for this thing if you're good enough to get in yeah. then maybe we'll see so yeah. so so my experience started to align to support my intentions and my goals and my ambitions and my desires to pursue this more seriously once i got into governor's school lorenzo mafati signed off on the uh, on the talent card <laughs> thanks lorenzo and, he's gonna make uh, it <laughs> yeah and then and then that became the sort of catalyst for me to say like I don't care what you say. I'm going to I'm drama doing school. This. Yeah. I'm doing so that. I, yeah, that I made the decision in. to audition for wow. school. Wow. Before we, before we just move on from this yeah. time in your life, I'm just curious, what roles, just a few of the roles <laughs> that you were performing <laughs> in. Give us a visual. In high school, yeah. I, in high school, I was, um, my freshman year, I was, I had to drop out. I forget why I had to drop out of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I think mm. I was playing the baker. And for some reason, I dropped out of that. And that was like scandalous because it was my first, it was the fall production. I think there was like a movie that was shooting in Pittsburgh that I got like sort of involved in. And I had to drop out as a result. Yeah, I think it was Lorenzo's Oil, in fact. I know it was. And I was sort of like, I'm not sure if it was Lorenzo's Oil. It was. It was Lorenzo's Oil. Who did you play? Who did you play? I didn't play anybody. That's what happened was that they came to scout at my high school. Um, for like the young Lorenzo and I got scouted to like audition with George Miller and I got really far in the process and the the audition process which would happen after school started to conflict with the musical oh. rehearsals oh. so I was like do I want to really like quit the musical to go try to be in the movies and yeah. so I did and then yeah. I didn't get the fucking part oh god like, how did you deal the, with oh, that I was devastated 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 ah. it got me down to I was auditioning with Susan Sarandon oh, and like Nick Nolte and George Miller have and, like, you worked with any of those people subsequently I know Susan now, yeah. We I don't think I've ever talked to Susan about it actually. That's so funny. Heads up, Susan. I've got a story for you, Susan. That's fucking crazy. How angry were you? Yeah, I was so really pissed. horrified that I quit the play. And That's didn't a get good the movie. education for yeah. I life learned a lot about business. disappointment. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Rejection, um, and then uh, but then I did the spring musical that year, which was The Music Man, in which I was J.C. Squires, the high tenor of the barbershop quartet, because my voice had not oh. dropped yet. Oh. Uh, 
Um, and then my sophomore year, I was the jester in Once Upon a Mattress. Oh, classic. My junior year, I was... I, you tall, um, skinny son of a gun. Yeah, I was a tall, skinny son of a gun. My junior year was... Um, oh, my God. What did we do junior year? Uh, I don't remember, but then we did, in my senior year, we did, oh, yes, I do remember, junior year was a big year because I won the Gene Kelly Award <gasps> for Excellence in High School Musical Theater in oh. Pittsburgh for my portrayal of the modern major general in Shit. Pirates of Penzance. And then Got my senior year, in the fall, I did Godspell, and in the spring, I did John Adams in 1776. Who's oh. you playing Godspell? I played Judas. Oh. Good. Yeah. These are good parts. Yeah, they were good parts. Good we're stuff. Really showing your stuff. They're doing 1776 on Broadway next year. I'm like, Can hello, you get seen for that? Let's go. <laughs> we talked about this. I like that you're, um, you, I don't think people think of you as a singer, but right. I like that you're, mm. I, I, I hope that you I are. I do too. My degree is in, in musical theater from Carnegie Mellon, but I don't, I don't, say. I don't. I don't <laughs> I chose very like I chose not to pursue it. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to do it for some reason back then. I thought. What about I now? To be like, what about yeah, now? I would love what about now? What about now? I, I just want to say uh, while you say that mm, the things you're doing with your shirt look at are delightful. Your, I want to yeah, do it. You're like, oh, um, I do it. Put that out in the world. Yeah, I, have, I will, and I and I will. Do you have any like uh, dream? Sweeney Todd dream role. Yes, <gasps> I give it. That's been the my spark dream file stamp of approval. That's been my dream role. Okay, so. I don't know. And again, I mean, I'm just rambling. But uh, when I was a Civic Light Opera mini star um, <laughs> in the year 19, I want to say it was maybe 11, 19, 1911. 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19. <laughs> it was either 89 or 90. Uh, they did as part of the main stage. So while we were mini stars, we also got, like, I was a, a munchkin in their main stage production of The Wizard of Oz in 1988, okay. starring Kathy Rigby. <laughs> I was a page boy yes. in their 1990, no, in, in 1990, they did Oliver. And even though I used uh, Consider Yourself to get into the Civic Light Opera Stars, I was narrowly not cast as the Artful Dodger. I was instead mm. cast as Charlie Bates. A lot of rejection oh, early for me. Good. Like I had my hopes set on Charlie uh, on the Artful oh. Dodger, and they gave it to some New York actor. And instead I played Charlie Bates, the sort of second to the Artful Dodger, so like yeah. the third fiddle to like Oliver Charlie yeah. Bates, and then the Charlie yeah. or Oliver yeah. Artful Dodger Charlie Bates. Anyway, and then I was a page boy in the 1992 production of Cinderella. But... In the midst of that, they did a production of Sweeney Todd oh, with yeah. John Seifer and Karen Morrow. Oh, God. Um, and I. Karen Morrow is the <laughs> shit. Yeah, she was the shit as Mrs. Lovett, let me tell you. Oh, and my God, I, I bet she was. I, we were invited as the mini stars to the <laughs> dress rehearsal. So it's an empty theater. No place you'd rather be. No, oh my it's God. an empty theater in the Benedum Center, which is a really glorious sort of. Uh, you know, theater in Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and I was sitting, I'll never forget this. I was sitting on the floor in the first row of the mezzanine with my arms up on the sort of like banister, you know what I mean? So I was like leaning over as the overture of Sweeney Todd begins. And I was so engrossed mm. by those, you know, organ notes and like, so like lulled into like, what's going to happen? Cause this was like early, I hadn't been exposed to much theater at this time. And then that work the whistle, scream of that oh, whistle, literally God. threw me back into the chair, and like th there was such a feeling of that's visceral, baby, like, like belly fear that I I had never experienced anything like it at that point. Like I have goosebumps now just talking about it. That's how it. you know it's good. And then I was for the next two and a half hours just like 
absolutely mm. glued. So Sweeney Todd, mm. I've seen Sweeney Todd more than any other stage production in my life. Mm. Um, and and isn't it interesting as well, like to think about the journey that I've been on as an actor and how many of these sort of like dark, yes. villainous, <laughs> evil yeah, characters yeah. I've played that like for me to step into that when when it, when it's age appropriate, I still have a few years, but I'm really excited about that at Do, some point, oh, somewhere in I'm the world. I'm so Good. into this. And I also, I want to do the math to see like how, I know he's, Sweeney Todd's had a rough life, so he could be younger and still he would be pretty haggard. How right. old does he have to be? I don't know. I mean, Michael Servers played it in that Patti LuPone production. That's he right. was probably not much older than I am now. Um, I would, I would want to be 50 myself. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, Which yeah. gives me, you know, the rest of my 40s to... I'm so yeah. there. I'll be there on opening night throwing roses uh, at you. And also, I feel like we need a moment from Sweeney Todd. Like, it's... Yeah, it's yeah it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Not that long ago, you know, they did it on Broadway. Then they did that, like, mm-hmm. Lincoln Center yep. orchestra yep, thing with Emma Thompson. Then they did right. the one at yeah. the Barrow Street, yeah. which was sort of site-specific. Yeah. And we, we, need a, we need a breather. But then... Yeah. Bring it. Coming in like we a freight to, train. We need to stop it from happening until you're ready, though. Thank we just you. need to block any other I just have faith that if it's meant to be, it'll be. And if it's yeah. not meant to be here, it'll be meant to be somewhere. You yeah. Know? Can we get Karen Morrow to play your Mrs. Love? Oh, my. She's good. I have, I have other ideas, John. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Keep, hold some back. Keep a little mystery. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark fire. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark fire. I jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire. That was part one of our interview with Zachary Quinto. Part two will be available next week wherever you get your podcasts, unless you're in the future. Then it's available right now. So go on and give it a listen and find out what became of the boy known as ZQ. (laughs) Hi, friends. It's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality, energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.